passage in the Bible in which Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, how to pray and to encourage them to pray. He says to them, ask and it will be given to you. Uh, Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. And I want to tell you that if I'm one of his disciples, I'm like, okay, uh, you've got my attention. And he goes on and he says, he says, which of your fathers, if you asked for a fish, would give you a stone? And if you asked for an egg, which of your fathers would give you a scorpion? And of course, the correct answer is no good father would do that to a child he loves. And so he goes on and he says, if you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven, now stop there for just a moment, just stop there for a minute. What do you think he's going to say? How's he going to finish this sentence? Because I'm on the edge of my seat at this point. Because if he says what I think he's going to say, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm going to hit my knees immediately and start asking. Because what I think he's going to say is, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Because that's how the sentence is set up. Everything in the second clause is parallel to the first clause. It just makes sense, right? And I'm ready for it. I've already got a mental list. If I'm one of the disciples, I've got a mental list already in my head of good things that the Father can give me. Well, I'd really like a new four-door Jeep Wrangler Unlimited Sahara. White on the outside, tan interior, five-speed stick shift, both hard top and soft top. Let's just start there. And then I need someplace cool to drive it, like, I don't know, say a beautiful beach house in Turks and Caicos. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Private plane would be nice, too, so I could get down there quickly anytime I want to. I'm just getting warmed up now at this point if I'm one of the disciples. So I'm edge, on the edge of my seat waiting for Jesus to say what I already know that he's going to say, except <laughs> that's not how he finishes the sentence. In fact, the way he finishes the sentence, well, like, I don't know if this ever happened to you as a kid, but it did, it did me. You go to your grandparents' house, and maybe like your grandpa comes in and says, would you like some candy? And you're like in your head, you're like, you're sweet, bet you're sweet bippy I'd like some candy. And you're all excited. And then he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out some black licorice nubs. Yuck. Or like, do any of you remember those nasty circus peanut things they used to make? I mean, I don't know. They're like orange and they're like fake peanuts, but they don't taste like peanuts. And they're made out of some disgusting material. And they're just awful, right? And so it's like, it's like, whack, whack. You know, you'd just be so let down uh, by grandpa. That's the way Jesus finishes this sentence. That's the way it feels to me like a terrible letdown, or at least it did feel that way for many, many years, like going from dreams of chocolate bars and Tootsie Roll Pops to black licorice nubs and circus peanuts. Because he doesn't say, he does not say, if you knew how to give good, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Oh no, he throws a devastating curveball at the disciples. And let me just show you what he actually says. Austin, if you don't mind to show that like, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Quack, quack. 
It's like getting underwear and socks for Christmas. Yeah, I know I need them, but I was hoping for something way better. Like if, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why would Jesus set us up for one thing and then throw us a curveball like that? I want to tell you that over the years, I've come to realize that the promise to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him is not the equivalent of black licorice nubs or circus peanuts or underwear and socks. Instead, the Holy Spirit is the key to everything that I have ever wanted or needed in life. No, not materially, but in terms of the deepest thirst of the soul. All of the beauty, all of the peace, all of the wholeness of life and purpose and meaning and hope that I or any of us have ever longed for is bound up in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the very best gift Jesus can think of that anyone could ever have. For those of you who may be new to City Church, this is the penultimate sermon in a series of sermons that we've been in called The Ghost. It's a series about the Holy Spirit, or as some traditions, or even as some songs, like we just sang, uh, refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. Uh, we've been learning in this series about who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in Christianity. And if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bible again to the passage that we've been looking at for a few weeks in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We're going to go back there again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And if you haven't learned anything else in this series, I hope you've at least gotten two things. We've said a lot, but I hope you at least get this. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, he's not just a power. He's not just a force. He's the third member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's a person. And then also that at the moment a person moves from unbelief into belief in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. He indwells you. His presence in your life is the missing piece that every single person on the planet is missing and looking for. But then the Apostle Paul says something in verse 18 of Ephesians 5 about the Holy Spirit that we have said in previous weeks on the surface is very confusing. He says, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And as we have said, the obvious question here is, if I already have the Spirit, if the, if the Spirit has already taken up residence in me, why is there this command to be filled with the Spirit? Isn't that contradictory? Not at all. We saw last week that Paul is saying that we need to let the Holy Spirit, the Holy, Gro the Holy Ghost, have control of every nook and cranny in our lives. And I've used a number of different illustrations to distinguish between being indwelled by the Spirit and being filled by, uh, filled by the Spirit. Here's another Here's another one. Uh, there was a woman by the name of Thelma Howard who died in 1981. Uh, for 20 years, Ms. Howard was the devoted maid of Lillian and Walt Disney. Every Christmas, Walt Disney used to call her into his study and he'd give her a little, he'd give her a little Christmas present. And I don't know, she probably uh, expected, I guess, like a tip of like 50 bucks, 100 bucks, I don't know, something like that. But instead, he gave her year by year a certificate of stock in his company. Now, in both the psychological and the legal sense, she never understood what she had been given. She died in poverty. 
And when her meager possessions were being sorted out after her death, they found among them Disney stock worth in 1981, $7.8 million. She was by all rights a multimillionaire, but she lived like a pauper. Like all of her life, she had the wealth, all of that time, all of those 20 years, she had the wealth that would have completely changed her life, but she never knew what she had. And I'm going to say that this is like the distinction between being indwelled by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, you see. You, if you're a believer in Christ, the Spirit indwells you. You have everything that you could ever hope for in life dwelling in you in the person of the Holy Spirit if you're a believer in Christ. But many of us never let him change us. We're never filled with the Spirit. We don't let him change us. Now, I have to tell you something before we go any further. On Tuesday of this past week, as Dustin Krantz and Nathaniel Duckworth and I uh, were kind of doing the, you know, the post-mortem on last week's service, we all agreed that I said something last week near the end of the sermon uh, that I needed to clean up this week. I said something that could have left some of you with the impression that being filled with the Spirit is just it's a one-time experience. And if you haven't had that experience, you aren't really a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen, if that's what you heard, if that's what you understood, forgive me for my tragically poor communication, because that is absolutely not what I meant to say, nor is it what the Bible is saying. Uh, We've seen this in previous weeks. When the Apostle Paul writes in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, I've pointed out in previous weeks that he uses a verb tense that signifies that this is to be an ongoing continuous, repeated experience. In other words, the experience of being filled with the Spirit is available 24-7, 365 days a year for the believer. But just because it's available doesn't mean that every believer in Christ chooses to experience it, chooses to be filled with Christ. Many of us have sort of stuffed the Holy Spirit away in a drawer somewhere long ago. Either you have no idea what you have, or you say, yeah, 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 I I know all about the Holy Spirit. I learned about him long ago. Thanks. What I really need is a Deepak Chopra book, or or I really need a better job, or a better husband, or a better wife, or or a better pastor, or something else material and temporal and earthly. And all of those things, you know, all those things, it's like, all those things are like a multimillionaire begging on the streets for someone to drop a quarter in his jar. Because if you've believed in Christ, you have what Deepak Chopra is searching for. You have what no job, no house, no husband, no wife, no pastor could ever give you. You have all of the wealth of God living inside of you. But you need to let him invade every nook and cranny of your life if you want to experience all of the wealth that you have been given. You need to be, as Paul says here, filled with the Spirit. Okay, so let's answer the question. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me give you four words that you can hang what I'm going to say this morning on. Four words, believe, drink, repent, and surrender. Believe, drink, repent, and surrender. And uh, I did this last week. I'm going to do it again this week. I'm going to 
Uh, I only have time to get to the first two words, believe and drink. So next week, we'll do repent and surrender. So if you don't come next week, you'll only know how to be half full uh, of the Spirit, okay? All right. Okay. The first word is believe. How, how can you be filled with the Spirit? The first word is believe. And I'm speaking, when I use this word, I'm speaking to two, two groups of people now with this word. First, uh, to those of you who have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be a really good person. Uh, you might be a Muslim. You, might be, uh, you may be religious like a Muslim. You may be Buddhist. You may be Jewish. Maybe you're a Mormon. Jesus said, and I... I've talked about this earlier in the series. He said one time when he was having a conversation with a Jewish religious leader, he was talking to him about his need to be born again. And Jesus said to him, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The human condition is such that we are separated from God by our sins. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You've all been born in the flesh, or you wouldn't be here, okay? You wouldn't be alive, but you were born as a sinner, okay? That's how you came into the world, and that separates you from God, and the problem is no religion can fix that, and no code of conduct can fix that, and no amount of meditation can fix that, and no good words will fix that separation between you, you and God. So Jesus says that even though you were born once in the flesh, you must be born again of the Spirit. Well, how can you be born again of the Spirit? By, and the answer is by believing in Jesus. Jesus went on in that same passage, and he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. To be born again of the Spirit means to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the only one who can bridge that gap between you and God. And He did that through His death on a Roman cross for your sin. Now, this, by the way, this, by the way, is the great difference between religion and Christianity for those of you who are religious. Every religion, every religion has a prophet or a teacher who's pointing people. To God. Christianity is the news of what God has done to reach us by giving his son Jesus to die on a cross. It is not advice about what we must do to reach God. It is about what God has done to reach us. So you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ before you can ever be filled with the Spirit, all right? But I'm also speaking to those of you who do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to say to you is that you need to believe what the Bible is telling you about the Holy Spirit. Here in Ephesians 5, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit because he realizes that this is the fulfillment of all that we have been longing for. If you have a Bible, I want you to look back at Ephesians 1 for just a moment. Keep your finger at Ephesians 5, but turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 for just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verse on the screen. But Paul starts off this whole book of Ephesians by saying in verse 3, and we just sang this song, by the way, that uh, we, we just sang the song from this verse. 
Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And again, again, uh, some of you would say, that's good and all, <laughs> but I'm really into material blessings. Like spiritual blessings feel like black licorice nubs to me. They kind of feel like underwear and socks at Christmas. And I want you to listen to this, because if material blessings were the very best, most valuable blessings God the Father could give us, understand, that's what he would have given to us, because he is a good and loving father who longs to bless his children. But material blessings are not the best gifts that he can give us. The problem with material blessings is that they get old, and they stop working, and they rust, and they end up in a junkyard. They can also get stolen. Not to mention that material blessings don't change the emptiness in your soul. And if you don't believe that, just ask Ben Affleck. All over the, you know, it's been all over the, like my Apple News feed this past week. I mean, Ben Affleck, he's got more money than he could possibly spend in a lifetime. He had a beautiful wife in a beautiful home with beautiful children. But that wasn't enough. He went and searched for more. And this past week, he admitted himself into rehab for alcoholism for the third time. Material blessings are radically inferior to spiritual blessings because they do nothing about the hole in your soul. No amount of money can fix that. And as I said, material blessings are like the black licorice nubs or the circus peanuts compared to spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings are what you dream of. They never run out. They never stop working. They never rust. They never end up in a junkyard, and they can't be stolen. And they can change you at your core. Now, we don't have time today, but if you were to go and read the next 11 verses of chapter 1, from verse 3 to verse uh, 14, Paul describes, he, he, he describes all of these spiritual blessings. And what's fascinating is that in your version of the Bible and in my version of the Bible, uh, those 11 verses look like a bunch of different sentences. But in the original Greek language, it is just one long run-on sentence. It's like Paul can't get this explanation of these spiritual blessings out fast enough. He's breathless. He's so excited about these. Imagine, imagine if you had just found out that you won the mega lottery and you called your spouse to tell him or her about it. Imagine how excited, imagine how breathless you would be. That's what it's like for Paul here. Because he realizes all that this means. He's like, he's like, our ship has come in, people. Except it's better than any material, temporal blessing. And then look down at verse 14. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All of these spiritual blessings that you have been given, if you're a believer in Christ, are wrapped up and they're conveyed to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, did you notice that Paul says, he says the Holy Spirit is just a deposit. That's how the NIV translates uh, the Greek word. It just says it's a deposit. But the actual Greek word is a word that means earnest, earnest. 
He's an earnest guaranteeing your inheritance. Do you know what earnest money is? A lot of people probably do. Some of you might not. If you go to buy a car, let's say, and, and your credit is good, uh, they'll arrange for you a loan if you want to finance it over a period of time. They'll arrange for you a loan that you'll pay off over uh, some period of time. But they'll require a down payment. Uh, that's earnest money, right? And the way that works is that some of the final payoff of the car is paid up front. There are, there are more payments to be made, but the final payoff is made some of the final payoff is made up front. Which means that all of this spiritual wealth that we have in the Holy Spirit is just a first payment, a first down payment of the whole inheritance that you will one day receive in full. Your uber wealthy heavenly father is saying, listen, I'm going to give you some of your inheritance now, which is going to make you a spiritual billionaire, but that's only a down payment. There's way more to come in the future. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm, using, I'm using material blessing uh, in money as a, as a poor man's way of communicating the richness of the spiritual blessings that we've been given. Because for most of us, unfortunately, most of us, material wealth is the best blessing that we can imagine. But make sure you understand I am not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not Joel Osteen up here. I'm talking about so much more than material, temporal blessing. Those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you believe this? Like, Do you believe that the Holy Spirit in you is the very best gift that you could have ever been given, more valuable than all of the gold in Fort Knox. Do they still keep gold in Fort Knox? I don't know. If they, you, you get my point, even if they don't, right? It's, it's worth more than all the, the gold in Fort Knox. Do you believe that being given the Holy Spirit is far superior to being given, say, the celebrity of the biggest movie star that you can think of? Do you believe that being given the Holy Spirit is far superior to being given the athletic ability of, say, a LeBron James? Do you believe that being given the gift of the Holy Spirit is far superior to being given the legacy of, say, an Abraham Lincoln, as great as his legacy is? Do you believe that being given the gift of the Holy Spirit is far superior to being given the power of the President of the United States? And do you believe that being given the gift of the Holy Spirit is far superior to being given the brilliance of a Stephen Hawking? And do you believe that being given the gift of the Holy Spirit is far superior to being given acceptance into the most prestigious country club in all of the world? Because that's what Paul is saying. And he even goes further. He's, chapter 2 of this same book, when he refers to this gift that we've been, we've been given, he calls it the incomparable riches of God's grace. In the Holy Spirit, you've been given the incomparable riches of God's grace. In chapter 3, he says it this way, that we've been given God's glorious riches. And then, in case you don't get it, he says that in the gift of the Holy Spirit, God has given us immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. Now, wait a minute. Did you hear that? Immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. 
You can't even imagine anything or any combination of things more valuable than the gift of the Holy Spirit. But do you believe that? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you believe that? Because if you don't believe it, you'll be like the person who stuffs the Holy Spirit away in a drawer. And you'll be the the multimillionaire begging on the street. If you keep begging your job or Eckhart Tolle or your husband or your wife or your kids or your investments or the lottery to make you feel rich and you will live like a pauper. Saved. Saved. But desperate this side of heaven. Because you've kind of just tucked the Holy Spirit away in a drawer. All of the wealth is there. But you'll live like a pauper. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you have to believe in Christ. But once you've believed in Christ, you need to believe what the Bible is telling you, that there's nothing better in the world than being filled with the Spirit, or you will never pursue it. Believe. Here's the second word. Drink. Drink. Look, at the, look again at the comparison that Paul makes now back in Ephesians chapter 5. Okay. He says, do not be drunk with wine. That's verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine. We've seen this. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, how do you get drunk with wine? Well, you, gotta, you have to drink it. And in fact, the the wine of Paul's day was so weak compared to our wine today that you would have to drink for hours to get drunk. Well, to be filled with the Spirit, you have to drink, and you have to drink a lot, not wine. The Holy Spirit is the living water that Jesus talked about when he said in John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then, then John writes, now this he said about the Spirit. He's saying, he's saying that all of you are thirsty. And I know our culture has kind of changed what that word thirsty means some, but it's still an expression. It's like all of us are thirsty. There's something that we need. There's something that we absolutely have to have to slake our thirst. And we all feel this. And Jesus is saying, that's the Holy Spirit. And the obvious question is, well, how can you drink the Spirit? Well, in another passage, Paul says in Romans 8, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We drink the Spirit by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, okay, again, what are the things of the Spirit? Well, we saw this last week in verse, eight, in verse 19. Look at what Paul says. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we said that in a culture that didn't read or write, that's how they learned the Bible. That's how they learned truth in the, ver- in the form of song, psalms, hymns, spiritual song. And we also saw last week that in the par- parallel passage to this one, in the book of Colossians, Paul says it this way. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, drinking the Spirit 
means directing our eager attention to what God has to say to us in Scripture, drinking heavily and repeatedly at the well of truth. And you see, if we do this long enough, we will get drunk with the Spirit. In fact, we'll get addicted to the Spirit. You'll develop a taste for Him. Instead of chemical dependency, you will develop a wonderful spirit dependency. But at the same time, I recognize that many of you like, really have no idea about how to go about to start to drink regularly from the well of truth, from the Holy Spirit. You open the Bible, and you're like, where do I start, man? It is overwhelming. Well, I want to tell you something. I'm going to teach a class for just two weeks on September 20th and September 27th, be on Thursday nights, just two, two Thursday nights, I'm going to teach a class on how to have an enjoyable and sustainable devotional time so that you can learn to drink deeply of the Spirit, all right? September 20th, September 20th and September 27th, both of those Thursday nights. Now, I realize that we're talking about an evening of the week that you would have to give to that. And I know at the end of the day, you're worn out. Work, the kids, work and the kids, and you're weary and you're dragging. Uh, if, if Warren Buffett were to come into town on some night of the week, and he said, listen, I'm going to give everyone who comes a plan for investing, that if you follow it to a T, I guarantee you, you will become a multimillionaire. Would you go? Sure. Would you sacrifice whatever else you had planned on that Thursday night to go? Of course you would. Of course you would. Well, I'm not the Warren Buffett of spirituality, but I am going to give you a plan to drink from the well of truth, to drink of the Spirit, and if you follow it, it'll get you drunk with the Spirit, who will, as Jesus put it, be a fountain of living water to your soul, if you come. September 20th and September 27th. Believe and drink. Do those two things and you will be half full of the Spirit. Now next week we'll cover repent and surrender. And if you come next Sunday, we'll teach you how to be filled with all the fullness of the Spirit. And if you don't come, because it's Labor Day weekend and all, well, too bad for you. Just kidding. We'll, we'll, We'll put it on our podcast. But let me ask you something. Just let me ask you. What do you believe? What do you believe first about Jesus Christ? If you've never believed in him, understand that there is this gap between you and a holy God that has been created because of your sin. And no amount of good works and no amount of meditation and no amount of religion can ever fix that. Only Jesus' death on the cross, his body, his blood shed for the forgiveness of those sins. And then for those of you who believe in Christ, have you ever given any thought to the fact that all of these spiritual blessings conveyed to you in the Holy Spirit are worth more than every material blessing in the world? Do you believe that? And I want to just ask you to bow your heads and
just in the silence. For those of you who've never believed in Jesus before, this would be a good time in the privacy of your seat. And then for those of you who are believers in Jesus, um, would you just whisper a prayer right now about what you believe about the Holy Spirit? And, and Nathaniel said it earlier, pray, pray like this. Lord, help my unbelief. <laughs> because most of us really do. Most of us really do believe that the material blessings, man, those are the real things. The spiritual blessings, fine. Would you just ask the Lord to give you insight into these profound spiritual blessings that he has given you and all the wealth that is in them? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you purchased those blessings for us through your death on the cross. those that don't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that today would be a day that they would believe in you. And for the rest of us, Lord, convince us, show us, persuade us. Thank you for pulling back in this passage the curtain between the material and temporal and to let us see behind the curtain that there is something far greater behind that. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done on our behalf. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.